0: Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, you are beautiful. And what privilege we have is to gather in your name as your children, dearly loved. And Jesus, we thank you for your beauty that you share with sinners like us. Jesus, we thank you for your beautiful blood that washes us clean. We thank You for Your righteousness that robes us and makes us radiant. Jesus, we thank You that You're a Savior that sings over us and with us and declares our beauty to the Father. And it's really declaring Your own beauty. We thank You, Spirit, for coming and uniting us and for making us family and for giving us the eyes to see How beautiful you are. Father, the world is competing for your beauty. And sinners like us are prone to give ourselves for that which is not truly beautiful. Father, would you come? Would you speak into our lives so that we can seek after true beauty. And seek after Jesus and his likeness. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Our Lord truly is beautiful. And part of the beauty is each other. We get to see the beauty in one another as we reflect who he is. And part of the beauty of Orangewood this summer has been our campus outreach. Having these students come week in and week out, I think this is their last week, um, and so make sure you greet them and thank them. And I just want to say thank you all for coming. I've loved having you. It's been a, you're part of our family now. And as we think of uh, campus outreach, if you remember, if you were here last year, we had a, a tragedy to hit their family and hit, hit our family. Samson of uh, got seriously injured last year while he was here ministering uh, right here in central Florida. And many of us have prayed long and hard for Samson And today his dad is here, Abai and Samson are here. And I'm going to ask them to come forward and we're going to pray for them. And so if we can get Samson and his dads here. And also what I would love for you all to do that are involved in campus outreach. I'd love for you to come and just come up front and let's get around Samson. I'll pray and let's together, let's just ask God's continual healing and blessing upon Samson. We're so thankful for preserving his life and for his witness to us even now of God's goodness. So if you're a part of Campus Outreach, can you come join me up here? Samson, it is so good to see you. We've been praying for you. So Dad, come on up as well. And Anybody at Campus Outreach, I'd love for you to come and um, just stand here with us. I know you're thinking, what's next week going to look like if we lose all these young people? <laughs> it's going to be tough. You can gather around and just grab a hold of one another and and Samson, um, And let's go before our God together in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your beauty. And Father, we thank You for the beauty of Your Son that we can see in Samson's life. Father, we thank You for the beauty of Your Spirit that is working in Samson's life to mend and to heal him. Father, we thank You that in Christ Jesus and His sacrifice And Samson's faith in Christ Jesus, that this man is complete, he is whole, he is beautiful, he is yours. And we thank you for the spirit that is alive and well in Samson. For the guarantee that whatever still remains broken will be healed and healed completely. Father, we thank you for his ministry to us even today. Father, we acknowledge that all the good things that you start, the good work in Samson's life, that you will be faithful to complete it. And Lord, we ask for full healing, for physical therapy, speech therapy, that will restore much of the life back to Samson. But Father, the truth is, the eternal life that you have given him through the work of your son reigns well in Samson. And Father, may that life of Christ be seen, even as he is in a chair for the glory of God. Thank you for the way he stands tall. Father, I pray for these young people that have dedicated their lives to Christ. Father, we need them. We need them to shine for you. God, would you please protect them physically, spiritually, emotionally. May they truly be able to sing a beautiful, wonderful Savior. May they truly long to see the beauty of their God revealed in their lives through the work of Christ and the power of the Spirit. God, thank you for them. Thank you for Campus Outreach Ministry. We ask your richest blessing upon them so they could be a blessing to you, to this world. Thank you for Samson. Ask your blessing on him. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Let's just say thank you to uh, Samson, these guys. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Last week we looked at one verse in Philippians. This week we're going to look at a bunch in Ephesians. And I'm not going to kid you or we're not going to kid anybody. We're not going to be able to uh, have the in-depth study that this passage requires. But oh, how powerful God's word is for us today. Incredible challenge. How needy how, uh, are we and how timely is this message for us? So turn with me to Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 21. Being mindful that we're reading God's very own words. I loved uh, Reggie's setup to remind us that Paul was dealing with a church in Ephesus that was spinning out of sexual control. Where sexual purity did not reign in their day. And that sign in the sidewalk, that foot that will point you to the right spot, the right brothel, uh, is etched into my memory as well as I've had the privilege of being there. Let us read God's holy and errant word together. I'll read aloud. You can read along silently. If you don't have your Bible, the words will appear on the screen behind me. But let's all be mindful because God loves us and because we need his word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to divide joint and marrow that truly has the ability to lead us to truth and to set us free, he has given us this word. And we need to submit ourselves to it. And what a privilege it is to have this love letter in our hands. Let us read together. Ephesians 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you, as it is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. Father God, how we need the light of Your Spirit to shine so that we can see the light of Christ So that your will could be made visible. So we can understand how we are to live as your family and how we are to maintain purity. Oh, Father, you're a holy God, a holy God that is so pure that your eyes cannot even look upon evil. And Father, we are evil. In and of ourselves. But we thank you. For who we are in Christ. We thank you for your word and your spirit. That makes us beautiful. But God we ask that you would shine. Your light upon your word. And the preaching of your word. So that we can see the beauty of Christ. And so that we can see the beauty. Of your plan for us father. And the beauty of sexual purity. The beauty of a body that. Is living as light. Father, you know the truth and how much darkness still remains in my life. Father, come and forgive my sins. And may the light of Christ be seen through a broken vessel like me. God, would you open up our ears so we can hear Jesus' voice? Would you open and illumine our minds, shine on our minds so we can understand how we are to live. Would you take our hearts and would you make them pliable and would you mold them so that we're lovers, lovers of God and lovers of your word and lovers what's pure and right and holy. God, would you empower our feet so that we can walk, as this text tells us, as children of light in a manner worthy of the light that we've received in Christ. Forgive us, For our sins, for they are many. And speak and speak clearly. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Easy topic this morning. Everybody get comfortable. I am. Isn't Jeff sweating a little early this Sunday? Usually starts about 10 minutes from now. And I am. And we've added extra joy of having our young people here because we have no place to put them. So my rest of my sermon will be in Pig Latin. I hope you pick it up. (laughs) You know, it's funny. um, I'm so thrilled to have Zach Van Dyke as our new youth director. And uh, Caleb is coming into sixth grade. And it's unbelievable, God's timing. Caleb, our upcoming sixth grader, who's not here this morning, and I can talk about him freely as far as you know um, is now going on youth trips and when I started as a youth minister Zach was in sixth grade and he was now starting youth trips and so now here is this reversal I'm entrusting to him my little boy and I had lunch with him this week and I sat down with him and I wanted to tell him everything you parents wanted to tell him my boy's a little boy and don't rob his innocence Oh, I don't want his head in the sand, but don't rob his innocence. And there's, so there's this delicacy where as you're one of your pastors and a lover of you and your family and this church, I'll do my best to speak truth in and love and, and not rob innocence. But there's a truth that we need to see that we really need to wrestle with. Because our sixth grade sons and our fourth grade daughters are living in a pretty scary place. My family and I flew to Las Vegas this summer to start our trip out west, and I'd like to tell you what we did in Vegas, but I can't, because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, that is such a catchy phrase for a sinner like me. It really appeals to a sinner like me. It really does. A place that we can go and do all that our hearts desires without restraint, and no lingering bad effects. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And apparently what this great, slick, sinful marketing campaign wants to tell us is this, that our sex lives seem to be like Vegas and we can go there and do dangerous things and we shouldn't be able to talk about it. And really, in many ways, we feel even in, like in the church that our sex lives seem to be like a little bit like Vegas. What happens there stays there. And quite frankly, it's none of your business. That's not true. Really, what we're going to wrestle with today is this question. What should the church have to say about sex? And if you want to follow along in your outline, that's the first question that we're going to answer It's an insert. Hopefully, it's there. What should the church have to say about sex? Should we sweep it under the rug? You know, in a lot of ways, that's what we've done. I mean, is it really our place? And Paul is using really incredible words. It's, it's a paradox. I mean, Paul starts off and says this to us in verse 3, that sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, really, it shouldn't even be talked among us. It shouldn't even be a word mentioned among us. And what he's saying there is what I love, is really when it says it shouldn't even be known by us, is that there should be an ignorance. Listen to me. There should be an ignorance, a sexual ignorance as far as the impurity of the world goes here in the church. We shouldn't even know all that goes on. It should shock us. But Paul tells us something pretty interesting. He says, now listen, we shouldn't even have a word of it. We should be basically ignorant about it. It says that we shouldn't partner with those who are involved in it. We shouldn't even speak about what's done in secret. It's really evil. It's so bad. We shouldn't even speak about it. And yet he says this, we should expose it. Doesn't, don't you see a wonderful paradox there? Which one is it? Should we not say anything about it? Should we not say a word about it? Or how do you expose that which you're not even supposed to talk about? Should we sweep it under the rug? Should we be those who we say in the church here, listen, we're, we're going to see no evil. We're going to hear no evil. We are going to say no evil. That's the latest picture in the pastoral directory staff right there behind us. (laughs) How are we supposed to expose in verse 11? Look in verse 11. He's calling us to expose sinful behavior. How are we supposed to suppose something that we sweep under the rug? Bottom line is, we can't. So maybe the question is, okay, so we can't sweep it under the rug. What should the church do when it talks about this incredible issue? I'm trying to try to limit the number of times I say the word. Um, But what should we do? Should we shout words of wrath and hate and condemnation to sinners? Hasn't the church done that? And we've certainly been guilty of sweeping it under the rug. We've certainly been guilty in believing the lie that it's none of the church's business. It's like Vegas. And we can't be there anymore because God's calling us as light to expose it. But are we ones who shout words of hate and wrath to sinners? Because we can see in this, God is really ticked off at sexual immoral sinners. I mean, read verses 5 through 7. I mean, it's there. It's black and white. We can't erase it. We can't kind of soften it. Listen again, he says this. For you may be sure of this. Paul is saying, if there's any question, this is one thing you can bank on. It's as good as my... Anyway, keep on going. It's one thing that is this. You can bank on this. Who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, or Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Clearly, A immoral, habitually immoral, not asking Christ to forgive you lifestyle is producing right now God's wrath. So what are we supposed to do? Yell at sinners? Are we supposed to make signs and make these signs that tell people what God thinks about their lifestyle? Should we give our children t-shirts? And dress them in t-shirts that will tell them about what God thinks of this lifestyle. Now that t-shirt has a website on it. And I go to the website and it's a Baptist church. And the first thing that Baptist church wants to tell me about themselves is this. And it's that website name. God hates them. Okay. And it says, we believe in the doctrines of grace and the five points of Calvinism. I'm thinking that's great because guess what? So do we. (laughs) So do I. So does this church. What in the world? How do you get the doctrines of grace and we start screaming at people and say things like that? Is that what God's calling us to do? I have some really, really, really good news for you. He's not. And if that appeals to you, this is not the right church for you. Because I see Jesus as a friend of sinners. And one where there's a mob of people that are ready to stone someone in sin. He says, no, wait a minute, let's get this right. Ye who hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. So let's take this declaration here in Orangewood. He who hasn't sinned, make the first sign. I'm disqualified. And I want to follow the friend of sinners. So what do we do? What should the church have to say about this? If we can't sweep it under the rug and we're not supposed to make signs of hate, what are we supposed to do? It's really seen in verse 9. We are to embody what is good, what is right, and what is true. We are to embody what is good, what is right, and what is true. Now, I could say this statement Abner Doubleday hates baseball. Now, you all can say, who is Abner Doubleday, and why do I care about what he likes or not? Well, this summer, part of our travels went to Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame, the birthplace of America's greatest pastime, which we all know the greatest team is the? Very good. Some poor guy said Cubs. I mean, Lord, help that man. (laughs) Cubs. But Abner Doubleday is the guy who invented baseball. He invented it. And to say a statement that Abner Doubleday hates baseball is crazy. He loves it, but he wants it played the right way. Jeff, what are you trying to say? God doesn't hate sex. God's not against it. God's the creator of it. He's the one who has given us this great, incredible gift. He is the one who has given us this drive. He's the one who actually wants to be blessed through it and glorified, Mm, but true. And because he is the creator of it, he has every single right to tell us how it's supposed to be played or executed, performed. He's for it. He says it's got to be done in a manner pleasing to him. And the way that that is done is, is that we as his people are to embody, we're to display, we're to believe and live out everything that is good, right, and true. Everything that is good, right, and true about the way God believes that we should behave as a community, even in the bedroom. And the only way we know is right here, by God's word. And the only way we know is by following God's word. The only way we know is by being led by God's Spirit. And you know what else? You know what else? This is so important. This is so important. We need the body of believers. We need each other to understand and to live life pleasing to Him. All right, here's the next point. You ready for this? Our sex lives need to be a community affair. Okay? (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Um, (laughs) Our sex lives need to be in a community affair. Now, again, we live in a society that says it's none of your business. It's none of your dang business. But listen, we are a family. And truth is, because we are a family, more importantly, not just any family, we are his family. And because we are his family, your sex life is a concern to me. And really, my sex life is a concern to you. Probably even more so. If things get out of whack and things get out in the open and things aren't right, will it concern you about your pastor's lives? Too many of my friends are already gone. Already disqualified. Already out. Because it is a community affair. Because it reflects... On God's family and each other. But wait a minute. It's not just for your elders and your deacons and your ministry leaders and your pastors. The truth is, your sex life is our concern. It is my concern because I love you in Christ. And when we take a vow to one another and before the Lord, we take a vow to God and we say that we will do everything in our power as members, that we will live pure lives, that we will keep the church pure. Therefore, we are declaring to one another, you must have access to my life in some way. That this is not off limits to you. That we truly are God's family. That we truly are connected to one another in Christ. Listen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, this is what God tells about us. We are a city on a hill, we are the bride of Christ, we are the salt of the earth. Together, Orangewood. You know what we're doing. We are telling his story of love and redemption today. Together, we must be pure. Together, we must hold one another accountable. Lauren Winter has written a great book. Uh, this is the uh, gal who wrote God, "Girl Meets God." Phenomenal writer. Uh, didn't grow up a Christian. Grew up with a Jewish heritage, and she has a book that I highly recommend: "Real Sex." The Naked Truth About Chastity. And uh, you'll see a, a picture of that at the end of my sermon. So for those of you who are interested in that. And she talks about this point. The fact that our sex lives need to be a community affair. And she makes a good point. And she says this. Christians have to work hard to overcome the pervasive message. That my sexual behavior is none of your business. Christians, Christians have to work hard. To overcome the pervasive message that my sexual behavior is none of your business. Though we are willing to talk about sex from the pulpit, we often are less comfortable initiating hard conversations with our brothers and sisters about sex in people's real day-to-day lives. The Christian community senses that sex is a matter of communal concern, but we are hard-pressed to articulate exactly why. We have understandably absorbed the story of our surrounding culture. Listen, this is what he's saying. Church, we've become our culture. We're telling their story, not God's story. We've absorbed it. We are trading our vision of community. Listen, we are trading our vision for community, for American notions of individual and free agents. I think she's right. You see, the sexual purity of our young people is our concern. You see, the sexual purity of our singles is our concern. The sexual purity of our marriages is our concern. The sexual purity of our pastors, of our leaders, is our concern. And probably one of the most aha moments that I've had recently is this next point. We need each other to maintain purity. We need each other. We really do. We, this is so hard. And, and I had one counselor say of all the things that are plaguing our people today. Sexual addictions is the one that's wreaking the most havoc. We need one another to maintain sexual purity. And it seems like we're trying to fight this fight by ourselves. So I read another great book this summer. Funny title. Samson and the Pirate Monks. Uh, It is calling men to authentic brotherhood. Amazing story. It's a story of a guy who was a pastor's son. Uh, His dad is a fundamental preacher. Uh, Basically says this, his dad would say, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you might have formerly been an alcoholic, but now in Christ you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You should not even covet any more drinks. You've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. You are a new creation. You shouldn't struggle with those things anymore. And he heard that message day in, day out of his life. He says, I've come to Christ, I have been set free, the power in me is greater than anything in his world, why am I still addicted? Why do I still struggle with addictions? And I don't know what they do with Romans 7, where Paul clearly is wrestling with that which he hates to do, but he's still doing. And that which he wants to do for God's glory, he's unable to do. And so he tries to deal with his abnormal behaviors in a way that many of us do. Why don't you go to seminary and maybe you'll clean yourself up. Our seminaries are filled with people that are addicted. Our pulpits are filled with people that are addicted. Our churches are filled with addicted people that have been set free, that are new creations, but still wrestle with that old man. He tells a story of this pornography entering his life at an incredible degree in seminary. And he talks about running into one of his seminary professors at an at a, at adult bookstore. And the seminary professor says, hey, I want you to know, my wife knows about my behavior, and she's cool with it. How about your wife? No, this would kill her. So I guess this is our little secret then, isn't it? And that life he tried to suppress. He thought once I get in the ministry, it'll be over with. He gets a job in South Florida. He says it's going to be great. And things got great for a while. And he he talks very highly of his wife. He loves his wife, Allie. And they start having children. And now he's in the ministry. He's going to be set free, but he's not set free. And then he becomes a senior pastor. He starts his own church. And he's a church planner. and, And people are coming to him. He says, now I'm the guy. I'm the Bible answer man. And all my dreams are coming true. And I seem to be able to curb my addiction for a little while. But pretty soon things got bad. And he got back into his addiction. And one Christmas Eve, driving to his Christmas Eve service, he picks up a prostitute. And he talks about just feeling just like scum when his family came to Christmas Eve service and he knew where he had been just moments ago. He couldn't do it. I couldn't get out of it. And eventually he says, I've got to get out of the ministry. I mean, i, I just got to get out. I'm, I'm in a, Someone's going to know. So he gets out and he becomes a businessman and all that does is this opens up more doors and fuels more things and greater and greater addiction and more and more prostitutes. And his wife... Finds him and what he's seeing on the computer. Finds things about his life. And they eventually move to Franklin, Tennessee and in a PCA church. And Scotty Smith is preaching here the gospel and here the truth of being set free. And he was a Christian, but really was just wrestling with so much. But here's what he said that changed so much in my own life. He says, I was praying to a private God about my private sins. Trying to deal with my private sins in a private matter. And I never got better. And it wasn't until I was honest. It wasn't until that I said, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need accountability. It wasn't until he exposed himself to the reality that God had created him to journey together in community that he ever got right. And he's still struggling. Listen, we know our addictions... They come back like that. and The reality is, this is such a volatile subject. We can't sweep it under the rug, and we can't just make signs, but we really need to be in one another's lives to hold one another accountable. I mean, really get there. We talk a lot about small groups and band of brothers and our women's ministry and being a part of equipping center classes, but we really need one another. Do we believe it? I and mean, we're so afraid of it. So many of you are sitting there right now saying, Jeff, I know you're preaching to me. Some of you are saying you're trying to pray private prayers to a private God about a private life that you hate and you just haven't been set free yet. And you're just saying, why God, why? Why does the darkness continue? And I'm starting to realize maybe because we're not journeying together. That's with a dear friend this week and in a vulnerable moment, he said, you know, after two years of wrestling with something tough in his life, I just can't get over the darkness. I said, you know what, maybe I'm realizing that you're not supposed to. Maybe we're supposed to get over the darkness. And and, and I don't even know what to do with this. I really don't. Because I believe, let me tell you, I'm coming from the belief that most of us have serious addictions. I'm not trying to be pie in the sky. And I'm in, in the belief that most men right here are struggling deeply with lust. I remember being a youth pastor for so many years. When anytime I met with students that were guys, the first thing I'd ask them in prayer, I'd say, "This, how's your lust life? What? Listen, I know you got it. This let's be honest about it. How are you dealing with one another? We really need one another to maintain purity, to be accountable. I'm not talking about kissing and telling between you and your wife in marriage. That is, that really is. There's a part of that that it's got to always be pure. But I'm talking about accountability. The next point: Sex needs to be brought into the light. Sex needs to be brought into light, and you ready for this? (laughs) Unbelievably, look at verse eight. We are light. We are light. And we got to turn on the lights. It doesn't say you are a part of the light. It doesn't say you are the light of the world. It doesn't say you reflect Christ's light. No, it says you and I are light. We are the light of Christ to this world. And we need to turn on the lights. And here's what lights do they make everything visible. Do you know that my bedroom is invisible with the lights out? I trip over things, I can't see them. Although they are there, they are invisible. They are completely invisible to my eye until the lights go on. Here's what God is saying to us. Christian, you are light. Your community is light. You're the salt of the earth. I want you to turn on the light and make visible what sexual purity really is to our community. Make visible what it's like to live in obedience to God in a way that's honoring to him in the purity. Make visible. Turn on the lights. And what the world wants us to do is have our sex lives be no different than the world's. So that there's no distinction. So that we are darkness. Listen to what they call those who aren't in Christ. Darkness. Although that's where we once were. Being light, we are to make visible God's plan for sex. Wow. That's his call on our life. Being light, we are to make visible God's plan for sex. Everything becomes visible in the light. Look at Verse 13. But how do we bring light into darkness? We don't sweep it under the rugs. We don't make signs that say God hates you. No, we turn on the light. And we begin with our own sexual purity. We, believe, we begin by our community's sexual purity. We must have distinctively different lives than the pagan world. And if we don't, we have nothing to say. And our message is useless. How do we stay pure? Pure. How do we keep the lights on? Look at verse 15. I got to go quick. We're careful by the way we walk. We're mindful that we're sinners and that we have that flesh and that we're going to go to those evil places. In verse 15, we're mindful of the way we walk and we want to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 16, we make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Verse 17, we got to get in God's Word and we got to be with God's people because we got to understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, we can't get drunk with wine. It doesn't say we can't drink wine, but it says we cannot be intoxicated with wine because that usually leads to sinful behavior. Instead of being filled with wine, verse 18 says be this. I love it. Filled with the Spirit. It makes it sound like you're intoxicated and drunk with Jesus. He's so beautiful. And being made new in Christ is so beautiful. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is so awesome that we're intoxicated. That we're singing and dancing and people are saying, these people are drunk. Yes, we are. But it's not vino. It's Jesus. And I just can't help from dancing. And it's not a pretty sight. We need one another. Listen to this. In verse 19, this is the biggest point of this. We need to bring it into light and we need one another. It's this. we got to speak truth to one another in love. They were speaking, they were singing to one another. They were speaking to one another in love. We got to be in each other's faces and holding one another accountable. It can't do it all from the pulpit, but this is true. We got to speak truth in love to one another. And when, you know, our single friends are living with their girlfriend, we just can't be silent. And when our marriages are going awry and you know that our friends are addicted to the wrong things, we just can't be silent. We have to speak to one another, remind one another that we are family. We are going to remind one another that God's way to follow uh, in sexual patterns is the best way. And lastly, we need to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. To say to your best friends or to come and be a band of brothers or to to get with a counselor, I mean, to submit to someone and say, I want to submit my life and fear the fact that I'm a Christian. I want to expose some of the things in my addictions and what I'm wrestling with. Would you help me? We got to be careful in Ephesians, uh, Galatians 6, makes it very uh, clear, easy for me to say. Those who are spiritual are supposed to restore those who are stumbling, but we got to be careful that we don't fall, but we need to submit to one another in Christ. Listen, silence is not a virtue here. Our silence for sexual immorality is condoning sinful behavior. we got to realize that. Our silence with not addressing our young people, our singles, our married people is not a virtue. As I was preparing this message, I had something pop up on my computer and it looked like it was pretty official and it said, do you want a clean disk drive? It says, maintain your privacy. Protect your job and marriage. The Wipe away the adult sites that you have been to. And here's a list of some of the sites that you have been to. Keep a secret life secret. I said, where did that come from? I mean, not that I'm not prone to wander, but I looked at some of the sites that they listed and they weren't my addictions. I have other ones. You know what it said to me? I'll wipe away your sins. I'll keep you pure. I'll maintain the integrity of your marriage. No one will know, Pastor Jeff. CleanDisc.com and go do what you want. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And it's a pit of hell and it smells like smoke because there's only one who can wipe away my sins. There's only one who can make my hard drive clean. It's Jesus. And the only way he could do it is dying on that cross. And the only way that we could ever overcome this is walking in his spirit. But it's still a battle, let's be honest. And it still rages. And oh, how we need one another. So thankful he's filled with abundant mercy for sinners like us that deserve the Father's wrath. But get the Son's mercy. We need one another. And we need him. We need to call out and say, Lord, have mercy. As the worship team comes forward, we're going to sing and we're going to sing, God, have mercy on us. We've got to start with forgiveness. we got to start calling out and be truthful with one another. And then we're going to have a time of confessing our sins silently and renewing what we believe together. Let me pray for us. Father, have mercy on me. I am so prone to wander. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. And you know it. Father, thank you for the mercy that's so clearly seen in the face of your son. And the joy that is ours that we feel from your spirit. That cleanse us afresh. Give us boldness to drag our sex lives out into the light. Your light. To hold one another accountable. To live a life pleasing to you. To tell your story. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.